Hello, and welcome back to Sorcery and Superstition. This week, we will have our second episode in the series of stories by Christine Matthews. This week is Scorn Not the Gifts, and it's a wonderful little fantasy story set like a fairy tale like the first one. It's, I don't want to say too much about it. The story will speak for itself when we get there. We won't have any interviews in these next few episodes. We're just going, I'm just going to read right into the stories. I do have one bit of news coming up for myself. My first narrated story is coming up on Audible, hopefully soon. It's passed through QA, and it's on its way to retail. And when it finally does make it onto Audible, I will share the link with all of you, and I would be delighted if any of you all chose to purchase it. I would appreciate it greatly. So, anyways, enough about me. Let's get on to the story. Scorn Not the Gifts Branches clawed at her face as she ran, and the yew needles stung her bare arms like switches. Behind her, she heard booted feet thudding, and further off, the jingle of harness. Suddenly the feet halted. Someone shouted, There, I see them. Turn north, you imbeciles. And amid a welter of oaths, the sound of pursuit changed direction. Tired, breathless, and beset by a stitch in her side, Juniper was tempted to surrender, but loyalty to her youthful mistress prevailed. She put her head down and barreled forward, scudding through the door of a ground-floor tower room in the princess's wake, a scant ten feet in front of a large, irate guardsman. Lean on it, commanded Princess Araya, brandishing a large iron key. Juniper dutifully pressed all of her weight against the door. Where did you get that? from the chest in Master Briarin's room. You stole it. How can it be stealing when the entire castle is mine? Aurelia turned the key, replaced it in her bodice, and stepped back, regarding the door's vibration with interest. Then, confident that neither lock nor hinges would give, she tripped up the first of the four flights of stairs, skirts gathered at her waist, and head tipped to one side. That's the song. Can you hear it now? Juniper strained to listen, although faint, an elusive beckoning whisper. It did have the cadence of a song, an eldritch siren song, couched in a tongue long forgotten. She hunched her shoulders against a creeping chill. Do you know what it's about? Glory and danger and the twistings of fate and... Araya's voice dropped to a reverent whisper. Spinning wheels. Juniper stopped dead. She'd seen a power wheel only once. That spinning vortex of energy which opened the gate between worlds. But once was enough to convince her that such things were better not meddled with. Highness, I mislike this. We should go back. Araya's blue eyes held scorn. Why, Juni, don't tell me you're scared. It's just a wisp of song, not an actual gate. I want to know more. She turned, red gold braids swinging, and continued up the staircase. Juniper remained where she was. I find it suspicious. If this person wishes to speak to you, why entice you with music no one else hears? Why wait until your parents are absent and you are vulnerable and alone? And why is there no one else in this tower? The trouble is, Junie, that I'm never alone, said Araya, 
pausing on the third floor landing for her companion to catch up. The older girl sighed and followed, although her tread, like her heart, was reluctant. Don't fret, continued the princess, pausing at the top to adjust her skirts and twist her hair into a loose bun. If we don't come down by supper time, they'll use an axe if they can't find a spare key. She pushed open the door and walked in. The topmost tower room was large, open and airy, unusual in a castle where space was at a premium. An enormous tokery rug in shades of gold, russet, Butter yellow and orange softened the boards underfoot. But the walls were innocent of hangings, and the narrow windows unshuttered. Afternoon sun paved the floor with intersecting prisms of light. The room contained no furniture but a long padded settee, scattered with cushions and covered with a striped woolen blanket. In the center stood a squat, three-legged stool, fronting something like a wooden-framed wagon wheel. A hunched old woman sat on the stool, threading a twist of yarn through her fingers and humming under her breath. Oriah advanced into the room with a calm assurance of possession. Who are you? The ancient peered at them from beneath a shaggy fringe of gray hair and broke off her tune. Just an old woman, mistress, plying her trade. The princess tutted impatiently. I meant what your name and what is this thing? Ah, mistress, names mean little when you get to my age. A Verena will do, if you insist on a label. As for this, why, it's a spinning wheel. That? Aurora's face was a study in chagrin. I was enticed up here for that. Why, it's no more than a, a, a device to make cloth, mistress. A tool of creation, and as such, worthy of honor. Really? Intrigued, Araya moved closer and put out a hand to caress the merrily whirring wheel. Made of polished red wood, embellished by blue and green paintwork, it was surmounted by a bright blue ceramic knob, pointed at one end and smooth at the other. I've never seen one before. Are they rare? Not at all, replied the old woman with a cackle of laughter bearing a row of excellent teeth. Juniper frowned and studied her more closely. Those teeth weren't the anomaly. Although her face was lined, her hands appeared smoothed and well-manicured, and her eyes, in a nervingly bright shade of turquoise, were untouched by the film of old age. Gripped by a growing uneasiness, Juniper grasped her mistress's arm and tried to pull her away. Thank you for your time, old mother, but... I'm afraid we must go. The crone stopped laughing and produced a coquettish smile. So soon, but you've hardly begun to investigate my wondrous wheel, little Wren. And while I've provided a name, you haven't given me yours. She looked at Araya. Come, this gift must be reciprocated. Do you have a name, child? As was the custom with Argentan royalty, she had several. I am Araya Marioette Alexandra Marchioness of Marovi, an heir to the throne of Argenta. And this is Mistress Juniper Robert, my companion. How is it wondrous? And what do you know about the other spinning wheels, power wheels? Verena stood in far too sprightly a manner and gestured to the stool. 
Why, nothing. But they make a fine tale for a song. A fine tune to spend by. Come, try for yourself, princess. It's not difficult. See, you feed the thread through evenly, so, and to alter the tension, adjust the spindle a little. She indicated the blue knob, and an alarm bell sounded in the back of Junipa's head. The unfamiliar term troubled her, but she could not recall why. The old lady's smooth motion was obviously an acquired knack. The thread broke four times before Araya settled into a rhythm, and the treadle jammed twice. She was, however, determined, and refused to cede her place until she'd achieved a respectable ball of thread. The old lady resumed her infernal humming and began pacing in restless circles. Sod it, growled Arroya, as the thread broke yet again and yanked on the knob with unnecessary force. Oh! Juniper, suspicious and nervous, was watching Verena and didn't see exactly what happened. At her mistress's cry, she spun around and dropped to her knees. Highness, what is it? Arroya held up a finger dripping blood. A blue ceramic splinter was embedded in her flesh. Nothing. So silly. It was sharper than I thought. She swayed and put her finger in her mouth. Junie, maybe we should go. I feel odd. She tried to rise and her head fell back. With a small sound, she fell into Juniper's arms, sending them both crumpling to the floor. My lady, Arroya, Highness, wake up. Agitated, she patted the princess's cheeks, and when that provoked no response, delivered an open-handed slap. The faint blush of rose changed to bright crimson, but Arroya didn't revive. What have you done to her, hag? Her voice trembled with fear and revulsion. Verena smiled again, a small cat-like smile, full of malice and straightened. Once the assumed stoop was abandoned, she seemed unnaturally tall. That which is necessary, little Wren. Do you know the story of your mistress's naming? Of the fairy gifts laid in her crib? Intent on the injured finger, Juniper nodded absently. Everyone knew that old tale. How Doran had invited the daughters of a fairy lord to Araya's naming, but intentionally or not, had excluded the youngest from the guest list. Junie's grandmother had always been slightly contemptuous of those fairy gifts, declaring they'd merely pointed out qualities that the princess was born with, and any competent astrologer could have done just as well. None of those gifts were of any use in the present situation. Compassion, strength, and stubbornness could not combat poison. It seemed obvious to Juniper that Verena must have coated the spindle with some sort of toxin. Perhaps if she could tease the splinter out, she could suck out the poison. If she only knew what it was. If only she had some knowledge of healing. If only they hadn't come up here. If only, if only. She hasn't been poisoned, said Verena, as Juniper lifted the limp royal hand to her mouth. It's a charm. You can't draw it out. You can't counteract it at all. She bent heavy hair swinging, and bands of gold rippled through her white tresses. It hadn't been white before. It had been gall-feather gray. Juniper pulled Araya against her, 
fighting to keep her voice steady. Keep away. Help is coming. The guards will be here any moment, and Duke Duran will see you hanged for this. Verena reached up to her hairline and peeled back the skin. He couldn't touch me when I first laid the spell on his daughter. What makes you think he can now? Her disguise, a wondrously fashioned mask, dangled idly from her fingers, and her hair gathered highlights of red. The face revealed Master Hands in her voice. Flawless. Beautiful. Arrogant. Juniper gaped, trying to make sense of lunacy. What kind of spell? Farina held out her arms. Give her to me. No. An impatient sigh. I only mean to lay her down on the couch. I even provided a bed. Thoughtful, am I not? Juniper hesitated. Although slender and lightly built, Araya was remarkably heavy. I'll do it. Struggling to her feet, she tried to drag her burden across the room. But the princess's kid-skinned boots hooked in the rug and her dangling arms caught in Juniper's skirts. She'd gone about three feet when Verena scooped up the unconscious girl as if she weighed no more than a kitten, deposited her on the settee, covered her with a blanket, and arranged a cushion beneath her head. The rest she swept to the floor. Now, said this strange, frightening creature, settling on a discarded cushion and motioning Juniper to do likewise. Sit down and listen. Junie obeyed, heart thumping against her ribs in a sharp, staccato rhythm. One of the tears she tried to suppress spilled over to snake down her nose. She's still alive, isn't she? Oh, yes. One hundred years was the term my interfering busybody of a sister decided on. And a hundred years your sweet princess will sleep. Your task, my little brown wren, is to deliver a message to Doran of Marovi and his Argentan queen. Alarm bells clanged again as the buried memory resurfaced. Duke Doran's fairy kin had delivered more than the much-touted gifts to Araya on her first name day. There'd also been a prophecy that a spinning wheel would cause the princess's death. Doran had banned the spinning of gates throughout Morovia and Argenta. An edict which inconvenienced none but the highest of magi. Yet Grandmother Robert had muttered against it, complaining that the cost of cloth had increased three or fourfold. Jonathan never understood why, but Grand said once that the spindle, not the wheel, constituted the danger. And that's why they were forced to import all of their cloth. Now it made sense. Doran's ban had encompassed not only the power wheels, but also those innocuous wooden contraptions which operated by means of a spindle. Some versions of the story mentioned a spindle, but never those told at court. With shaking limbs, Juniper got to her feet. A hundred years sleep, which began as a death spell. A death spell you cast! You're the youngest fairy, the one that Duke Duran forgot to invite. You tried to kill Araya when she was only a babe, and now you come back to finish it. Stay away from her. I won't let you touch her. Farina appeared unperturbed. I don't need to. It's done. As Juniper launched forward, she sighed and held up a graceful, elegant hand. 
An invisible wall appeared. Juniper bounced off it and landed back on her cushion. Legs of sprawl and skirts racked up around her knees. Doran didn't forget to include me, continued Verena. The exclusion was quite deliberate. A serious mistake on his part. I don't take kindly to being snubbed. As for the sensory sleep, I was annoyed about that amendment at first, but on reflection, I think it might prove even more officious than my original spell. Can you imagine the problems, the chaos it will cause? For a thousand years, the daughters of Elunid have ruled in Argenta. But Alexandra's other daughters, her sisters and nieces, all died in the conflict with Morovi. She married Duke Duran to put an end to that conflict and use his claim on my sisters to provide a last final heir. What will become of Argenta if their throne's only claimant lies in stasis for a century? What will happen to Morovi? Zaran has no other heirs, even illegitimate ones. Was that a relief to you, or a burden? Would you have given him sons if you could? Juniper tried to speak, but no sound issued forth. Close your mouth, advised Verena. There are few flies about, but you might swallow a gnat. Grinding her teeth, Juniper achieved a dry-throated croak. How... How did you... How did I know you'd become Duran's mistress? The fairy woman leaned back on her arms and tilted her face to the ceiling, the chestnut strands of her hair mingling and blending with the autumn hues of the rug. I know all that occurs in Dunmarovi. She looked back at Juniper. I know now, as I knew then. He thought to cheat me, your lover, by excluding me from the guest list. He failed. Junie straightened, fury lubricating her vocal cords. And because of bruised pride, you put a curse on a baby? The turquoise eyes burned like blue fire. Pride had little to do with it. Do you know why, of all the seers, astrologers are least often consulted? Because a chart, once laid out, must be followed to the end. You can't read the sections pertaining to birth, love, marriage, and children. But stop, short of illness and death. That's what Duran tried to do. He invited Lord Avery's daughters to interpret the princess's birth chart. But he didn't want to know of her death. The part of her chart which is my domain. This is the message you'll deliver for me. She'd have been sixty-six years old and wed to an Argentan noble. They were to have had five children, I think, or six, I'm not sure. But three would have been sons, the rest daughters, enough to ensure the succession for Morovi and Argenta. The youngest grandchild would have been eight when Cornaria pricked her finger on a broken spindle, resulting in an affection which poisoned her blood. She's careless of such things. She wouldn't have consulted the healers until it was too late to save her. Juniper made a strangled noise, half sorrow, half disbelief. 
She didn't realize she'd bitten her lip until she tasted the iron tang of blood. Verena said, musing. This was always her destined fate. All I did was bring it forward fifty years. But why? whispered Junie. Why punish Araya? Verena shook her head. Not Araya, her father. The dead are immune to vengeance. It is the living who suffer. He deprived me of my moment of glory. I intend to deprive him of his heir. Those who scorn my gift do so at their peril. She rose, her hair cloaking her shoulders in a mahogany veil, and smiled down at Juniper, gloating. How long do you suppose a folk will remain loyal to an absent monarch? A decade or two? No more than three, I'm sure. Mortal memories are so lamentably short. She paused, head tilted, and Juniper became aware of a commotion outside. The guardsman, alarmed by the girl's continued absence, had demolished the oaken portal on the ground floor and were now hacking their way into the tower room. She ran to the door, shouting that they needed a healer, but couldn't make herself heard above the steady pounding of the axes. That's my cue to leave. Verena held aloft the broken spindle, on which Araya's blood had dried. Not rust, but pale gold. Deliver my message, little Wren. The spindle, spinning, became a gold-laced azure blur, and a wheeling vortex of light appeared above the tokery rug. Verena stepped through it and vanished. The light wheel lingered until the hinges gave way and the door splintered inwards allowing the guardsmen to witness it and lend veracity to Juniper's story. Furthermore, the story of the Power Wheel's appearance served to keep the curious away from the tower better than any royal prohibitions, allowing the princess's grieving parents to farewell her in peace. It seems so wrong to just leave her here, mourned the queen at the official ceremony of leaving, taking several weeks later laying a sheaf of sculpted white marble lilies at Arroyo's still feet. Similar offerings crammed the room, gold plate and ivory statues, glowing silk tapestries, fine crystal goblets, silver mirrors with filigree frames, a scrying globe carved out of amethyst, and a pile of jewelry encrusted with gems. The fabric might succumb to rot and the silver to tarnish, but the rest of the hoard should keep the princess comfortably for many years when she woke. The tall woman at Alessandra's side spoke. That was... That was never my intention, Highness, to send a child of sixteen forward one hundred years, alone, without any protection. She shook her head, sending the silver bells out of her earrings a tinkle. Oh, no, I couldn't. Juniper studied her, frowning. The cream of two countries' nobility had gathered at the mountaintop stronghold of Dunmorovi, but although some might be infrequent visitors, she could name all of them. This woman was a stranger. Tall, comely, and otherworldly, she wore a confection of foaming silk, unsuitable for an autumn day in the highlands, and when she lifted her eyes, they proved to be the same shade of blue as was Verena's. Junie stifled a gasp, and the woman on her left, who leaned on a stick, and wore the hood of her cloak pulled up, despite being indoors snorted. More interference. 
I hope she's thought it through better than last time. Juniper recognized the voice. With a hiss of outrage, she twisted to peer into the intruder's face. But before she could formulate any warning, the wall she'd encountered before closed around her and she found herself unable to speak. Mind your tongue, little wren, said Verena. I'm just a spectator, and I can't wait to hear this. My name is Troyana, announced the queen's companion, turning to address the room in a froth of spun violet and a scatter of sequins. I am, for want of a better term, Arya's godmother. It was I who laid this sleep on her. I regret the length of the term, but I had to combat a powerful spell. How can we protect her? demanded the queen. Tell us what we must do. Go with her, said the fae simply, so that when she awakens, she won't be alone. You can extend the spell? Alessandra was torn between hope and incredulity. Why didn't you tell us this sooner? Do it. Do it now. Violet motes of light drifted upward, dusting the fairy woman's white shoulders and the gleaming chestnut coils of her hair. I can't extend the spell, but there's another way. Behold. She gestured toward the small, narrow aperture of the window, and the sliver of sunlight brightened and widened until it subsumed the entire width of the wall. A disk of gold appeared in the center and began slowly revolving, sending spokes of radiance across the ceiling and floor. As the assembled nobles and notaries watched in awe, the disk spun faster and faster until the light in the room rivaled the glow from a glassblower's furnace, although the temperature, if anything, dropped. A low-pitched, whining vibration assaulted their ears, like a thousand seabirds in flight. The duke recovered first. A gate? His tone was frankly incredulous. You mean to send us all through a power gate? Where to? Nowhere, and not all of you. There are limits to this magic. The gate will take you, your queen, the princess, and up to forty-seven companions to a place out of time, a place between the worlds that's bound to none of them. As far as the rest of this world is concerned, this tower will be a mere specter, a shadow. Then when the century's done and the curse has run its course, it will move back into alignment and time flow normally again. The glow on the queen's face rivaled the gate. How long will it take, and how does it work? What must we take with us, and how soon can we leave? A cursed long time, muttered Juniper's neighbor. And as for how it works, if she told them that, they'd be screaming over the edge of the mountain. The process is slow, said the other fae with composure, but not unendurably. We'll begin tomorrow at sunset. Do you agree, my lord duke? Doran shook his head, his face pale. No. Outraged, the queen shot him the kind of look she usually reserved for condemned felons. Doran laid a hand on her arm. Thank my lady. Our lands together are strong, but others covet them. If we leave our people leaderless, they'll not remain so for long. One of our neighbors will move in and annex both Morovia and Argenta. When we wake, we might well be forgotten entirely. 
even if the entire 47 who came with us were warriors. That would not make an army. And weapons, armor, even fighting techniques could change dramatically over a century. We may find ourselves hopelessly outclassed, as well as outnumbered. Is that the future you would bequeath to our daughter? No, my dear. You go through the gate. You wait with Araya. I will remain here and govern our lands. The queen visibly gathered her wits. My husband's right. Master Briaren, see that this offer is made, known among the servants and men-at-arms. Applicants will present themselves in the great hall tonight and will make the final selection. My lords, my ladies, this meeting is adjourned. All but Doran and Alessandra trooped out, but when Juniper made to follow the duke detained her. Stay, Mistress Rover. This concerns you. Reluctantly, she obeyed. She'd seldom been alone with the royal couple without their daughter's cushioning presence. And now, the only others left in the tower room were Trehana and Verena, who thrust back her hood and stood glowering at her sister. The tension between them, already palpable, increased when the duke noticed her presence. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Durant's voice could have frozen a furnace. Triana held out her hand. She has something for me, I think. Verena produced a spindle from beneath her cloak and held it up to the light. It seemed to glow from within. This, maybe, but my cooperation comes at a price. You can't dictate terms now, Verena. They were set in place sixteen years ago, and it's over. The queen looked from one to the other. Why do you need it? I just leap forgot the cursed thing existed. It was a powerful spell. An ordinary spindle couldn't carry the charm, so Verena fashioned one with magic that would. Haraya's blood activated the spell, and her blood must release it. Without the spindle, she won't awaken on cue. This new threat to his daughter was too much for the duke. He drew his arm back, and a dagger spun through the air, flashing silver. Verena put up her free hand and caught it. So, she said, juggling knife and spindle before her. Araya sleeps, the queen sleeps, and Duke Duran's free to rule, both Argenta and Morovi. He might have other children, sons to succeed him. She cast a spiteful glance toward Juniper. They might even be yours. Juniper flushed and avoided the queen's eyes. Doran, however, was too angry to consider diplomacy. Oh, they will be, he said. The queen became very still. Ours was a political marriage, Doran, and I've never denied you your pleasures. But don't think of replacing me. I won't divorce you, and if I accompany Oriah, I'll surely outlive you. There'll be no rival claimants to our throne. Doran shrugged. Bastard sons have risen high before now. Alessandra lifted an eyebrow and bent her austere gaze on Juniper. See how highly he regards you. He offers you protestations of love, but name your children as bastards. Misery tightened her throat. My lord, why did you bid me stay? Ferenna suspended the dagger's dance and leveled its tip at the duke. 
Why, I'll tell you. He wanted to ensure you didn't go to Briarin and put your name on that list. He wanted time to persuade you to remain with him. Will you? Juniper squeezed her lid shut against tears. Araya had chafed at the number of servants and armsmen with whom her parents surrounded her. In a hundred years' time, however, she'd welcome every familiar face. Juniper had wanted hers to be one of them. But Doran was right, and so was Verena. Without constant reminders that their true monarch lay sleeping, Araya's subjects could very well give their allegiance elsewhere. Doran needed sons, and Juniper would allow no other woman to bear them. Indeed, she was already with child. But nobody else could know that. Could they? She opened her eyes and sucked in a breath. Yes, I'll stay. Spindle and Dagger resumed their spiraling dance. Good. Here's my price. Allow me to perform Araya's little brother, the service she was denied, and Troyhana may have the spindle. Juniper's heart shuddered to a near halt. No. It's a royal gift, said Doran. Don't dismiss it. Verena smiled in triumph. An oak-month child he will be, square and solid and steady, with his father's brains and his mother's hot and brown eyes soft as a nestling's. Our skills are greater than mortals. I can plot his life and his death from this moment. While he's still in the womb. Well, my Wren, what shall it be? See your son's future, or deny Araya her waking? Heat rose in Junie's cheeks. How did you know? The other face spoke gently. She didn't. I did. I have what mortals call the sight. That's why I saved Araya, changed the death spell to sleep. She has a destiny to fulfill, and I knew she couldn't achieve it in sixteen short years. Your son has a destiny also. What choice was there? Juniper blinked away tears and nodded. Draw up the chart. Doran summoned a servant to bring ink and parchment, and cleared a space on a small inlaid ebony table. There are thirteen parts to a birth chart, Verena explained, drawing lines with the edge of the knife. But the rest of my sisters aren't present, and I can't interpret them clearly. This section only is mine. The knife indicated a maze of intersecting lines, stars, and triangles. Trehana put a finger on a clearer space, where the lines were well-spaced and less jagged. And this, she added softly, is mine. Twenty-two years old, said her sister, whose hair was now as black as her heart. Twenty-two years old when death finds him, in a skirmish by the edge of a brook, a sword stroke through the heart. He dies quickly, if that's any comfort. It wasn't. Junie lifted stricken eyes to her lover and found Trehana instead. Twenty-two years old and a father. There'll be a son and a dearly loved wife to mourn him, and his son will have sons. And so will they in their turn. They'll remember him as a good man. And for nigh on a thousand years his line will endure. She clung to those words like a talisman to the long months that followed. 
through the pageantry of Queen Alessandro's leave-taking and the breathtaking splendor of the gate's opening, through the nausea and aching back of her pregnancy, and the sly, sidelong glances at court. Sometimes Troy's prophecy provided a shield, sometimes not. But when they laid her babe in her arms, that small comfort evaporated like mist. She understood then why Doran had committed his sin, why he'd omitted Verena's name from the guest list and brought her wrath down on his head. Some said no worse fate awaited a parent than to outlive a child. Juniper Rober knew better. Worse still was the curse of foreknowledge, which Doran had tried to avoid. Twenty-two years, she whispered, stroking a petal-soft cheek. How can such a span seem so short? I will make every hour a prayer for you and fill every moment with joy. She kissed her son's head and wept. The End This has been Scorn the Gifts by Christine Matthews. I hope you enjoyed this story. I actually kind of got this confused a little bit with a different story before I had, uh, when I was talking about it, I didn't realize that this one was the one that was, um, seemed like a sort of based off Sleeping Beauty, you know. Um, I thought it was very good, interesting, original take, and I really appreciate Christine for sharing this story with me so that I could share it with you all. And next week will be the last of Christine's stories that she submitted so far. And I would tell you the name of it, but I honestly don't remember right now. But I do remember the story itself, and I'm going to refresh myself a little bit over the next coming weeks, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. So, until then, have a fantastical time. <laughs>